Follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. You guys doing okay tonight? Doing great. Yeah. Excellent. I have to I have to say, you're probably not gonna hear this much from me when we review old shows, but I sit here in awe of what I watched for this week's show. We picked a really good one. Yeah, good us. awe, not bad awe. Yeah. Alright. So, um, we're going to be talking about Super Brawl 1992. This is Super Brawl 2. And we'd love to hear from you guys. Please hit us up on our social media. What kind of social media do we have, guys? Uh, on Brad. Facebook, you can look us up. It is the number four corners podcast. Four and corners is a single word. All right. And Matt. We are also on Twitter. We are at Podcast Four Corners. That's the capital P in podcast, the number four in corners, all one word, at Podcast Four Corners. And we would love to discuss with uh, this show that we're going to review with anyone who actually wants to talk to us about it. And me. Uh, we are on Instagram. It is Four Corners Podcast, the number four, capital C in corners, capital P in podcast, all mushed in together because they don't allow you spaces. Uh, hit us up on there too. We'll be posting it there as well. Uh, we are also a collar and elbow affiliate. That means that if you go to collar and elbow, collar and elbow, the wrestling brand, and you get some, and no kidding, seriously quality gear, if you use our discount code, Four Corners Podcast, that's the number four, capital C in corner, capital P in podcast, you can get 10% off your order. So, that's good for you, that's good for us, that's good for everybody. And, finally, the man with the plan and our shake-up. Who is that, B-Matt? That would be Epico Cologne. Epico Cologne, a fantastic tag team wrestler. He knows how to work an old-school Southern tag team match. <laughs> All right. So, like we said, we are uh, we're looking at Super Brawl 2. This show is really really good uh brad kind of already voiced that opinion and so we'll just kick off with the first match on the card well this first i think i think we need to we need to go with like the the open of the show which was actually really smart they debuted jesse the body ventura in uh minnesota for the show they did yes they absolutely did your announcers uh for this pay-per-view uh, were a good old JR, Jim Ross, before he was actually good old JR. That's true. Uh, and Jesse. And I actually thought they did a fantastic job calling this pay-per-view. They really did. They were a really good team. And can I just uh, preface this? Like, I, I've i mentioned before, like, I got into wrestling in basically, like, the summer of 1992. I'm really dating myself. I, w I was very young, but uh, that's when I started watching it. I started watching it because of 1992 WCW. So going to a, uh, a 1992 pay-per-view was like, this was my thing. Like, I loved this. This was amazing. I started watching after this show, because the show was, I think, like in what, January or something? It was, it was in the earlier part. In February. Okay, yeah. It was yeah. in the early part of the year, like right before I actually started watching it. It um, was the dreaded February 29th that this show took place. Oh. Oh. There's, I think, a Pirates of Penzance joke in there somewhere. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, great. Great. Great announced team. Great option of introducing Ventura there. And then, to follow that up, we got a great match. We had uh, Brian Pillman take on Jushin Thunder Liger for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. Um, 
Brad, why don't you give us your impressions on this? So I've seen this match before. Like I've seen this matches multiple times. Like I'm aware of its reputation, but it was almost like seeing this match for the first time all over again. Like this match was, I don't even mean to swear here. This match was fucking awesome. This match is pretty amazing. And, and the great, the crazy thing about this match is that he, it's, gosh, at this point it's uh, 27 years old. Yeah. And it could be a match that just happened today. It could like, be on it, a Ring of Honor show. Yeah. And yeah. think about that cuz obviously we've had 27 years like the the kind of the landscape and the style has like radically changed especially from what else was going on in early 90s. I mean, think about what was going on in, like 1992. Uh This had Sid and Hogan. WWF. Yeah. This uh this show was amazing and this match was amazing. Uh I remember like again cuz I got into wrestling like later on this year. Uh, and then like later on in the year in like 92 and 93, I, like I was that kid who got his mom to buy him like the after mags at the, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, at the grocery store, or, like the convenience store or something. Yeah. Uh, so I remember like reading after mags and this was like months later. And I remember like this match would still get referenced. And this is w- long before I ever got connected to like the internet wrestling community that i think that was before like the internet wrestling community was even a thing obviously 92 they didn't have maybe like if there was usenets out there i think this is (laughs) like i think the internet was starting to bud at this point but i think it was still like the newsletter subscribers mostly yeah but But i heard about this i heard about this match in particular i tend to feel 1995 is like when the internet wrestling really became like a thing I probably didn't get into it until like late, like very late nineties. I think it was like ninety eight for me. I think I was kind of familiar with it around ninety seven or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but and you know that's that was the weird time about finding spoilers and then being like, hey, this isn't what happened last this past monday what what is this about and then all of a sudden you just get out of like, oh that was that's because they taped it this is the spoilers for oh you know that sort of stuff i tend to think like you're you're awakening in the 90s as far as like the wider world of wrestling is when you discovered ecw mm. oh yeah yeah okay so um here's the here's the thing that um in, in watching this match that uh, really struck me is that in in watching this, obviously Pillman and Liger are two of the greats in terms of, of light heavyweights, cruiserweights, whatever you want to call them. These guys did something that, like, you don't see all the stuff you see today backflips and twists and rotations and all that kind of stuff. You're, you're not seeing that. And the other thing that, and, and that's not a knock on this match. It's a very good match. The other thing, the thing that you see in this that you don't see in a lot of today's matches is these guys know when to stop and let it breathe. And that just adds to it, right? There's, they, they'll have a moment here or there where they'll, they'll let, they'll let the crowd kind of, process what they just saw before they just go straight into the next thing so instead of boom 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 you've got you've got this thing and a crowd can be like oh cool and you got this thing and a crowd can be like they have time to clap they have time to cheer they have time to appreciate it so that's what i think adds a lot to this aside from what you guys already said it's also interesting that the crowd really didn't give a crap when this match started and they were literally like on their feet losing their minds by the end of it oh Yeah. yeah Uh, you're dealing with a crowd let's be honest you're dealing with the well this was milwaukee but wcw crowds kind of trended more towards uh at least like a southern type of crowd or they like that style Mm -hmm. uh i bring all that up to say that they probably weren't i mean (laughs) it's not like today where people would be marking out for a japanese wrestler uh working on a show like they probably had no idea who he uh, who he was and they were I'm sure, like, who's this weird-looking dude in a mask? Uh, but he absolutely won them over, like, to the point where people were, like, on their feet at the end of this match. Mm-hmm. That's very true. It's very and, good. And can I also bring up something, like, 
this match was fantastic. Uh, I can't give it like enough props. But uh, again, like Jim Ross, his commentary throughout the entire pay per view was great. But he was like on fire in this match. You could see him getting worked up. I just I remember how great uh, Jr. used to be. And I'm not even talking like most people nowadays probably remember like Jim Ross from the Attitude Era and kind of shortly after that. But I actually don't even feel like that's that was his best. I feel like that was when he was actually on the decline. I feel like late 80s, early 90s WCW or NWA, uh, that's when he was like at his best. And he was like on fire this pay-per-view. Yeah, he was. If, if you – I feel like even though I – Myself, I don't care for the match much, but Jr. is very, very good at putting like actual emotion into his calls. And if you mm-hmm. want an attitude error for that, you go to '98, Taker Mankind Hell in a Cell, because that is pure unbridled emotion. Whereas if you had Michael Cole trying to do it, it would sound flat because he just he didn't have it. But when it comes to that play-by-play, pulling people in, making this match even more for the people at home because they're not there to get the to get the atmosphere going on stuff. Yeah, this he, he, he killed it in this one. You mm-hmm. know, my favorite part of this match, though, is when they were just... they were just coming off the top rope onto the floor onto each other over and over again. Yeah. Man, it was... It was just really good. It was just it w- it was absurd to watch. Like they gave it a lot of time, but like it just just the bomb throwing, just the pace they kept like I like I, and it was like I said it wasn't it wasn't boom 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 boom. It was boom. Boom, so you had the time to enjoy it. And I, I appreciate that too. So I, it was really good. I actually want to rewatch this back to back with Bret Hart versus Owen from Mania 10 and see which is the better opener. Okay. It was also really smart to have this as the opener. That's a lot of faith in these two guys. Yeah. Um, this match was then followed up by <laughs> Marcus Alexander Bagwell versus Terrence Taylor. So, uh, my first the question Taylor, this I'm is... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Taylor-made man. Yeah, I'm we sorry. Make sure right. we give That's, him the proper credit. I'm, the 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 roster I'm looking at here had him listed as Terrence Taylor, but <laughs> well, you're he right. he obviously stole one of Ted DiBiase's suits for this pay per view. He really did. But um, I, my question with with watching this match was: if you pile drove this version of Bagwell, would he even feel it, or would his hair cushion the impact of the pile driver? <laughs> He had some very early '90s hair going. It had to have been like six inches of like hair poof on his head. He had an Elvis pompadour. He did. Yeah. Hang on a second. I need to clear something real quick. You guys go ahead. So this wasn't great, but it was okay. It was like if this had been like a TV match, it would have been fine. Yeah, this was this is more like a WCW main event. Uh, that old show that they had on like Sunday nights. Yeah, this is kind of like that. Uh, I, this was like pure white meat babyface Marcus Bagwell. Um, you know what the sad thing is? Is that this uh, the Taylor Made Man thing? While clearly like a DiBiase ripoff, like years after it would would have been relevant. It's one of his. It's one of Terry Taylor's actually better gimmicks in his yeah, entire is. career. Sadly to say. Okay. Um, okay. I'm sorry. I know I'm jumping in, mm-hmm. but I I had to. I had to get clearance to tell this story. Mm-hmm. I will use no names, but a friend of my wife's who was a big fan or big wrestling fan, um, 80s, 90s, right? And she met, I don't know if it was before he was signed and it was an indie show or if it was like a house show while he was working for WCW, she met Marcus Allen and Alexander Bagwell. She was in high school and wrote him a letter to ask if he would go to prom with her. Oh. And he responded with, while that would be wonderful, uh, because of my travel obligations, I can't. So that's just a... Bagwell has has popped up on on my wife's radar a lot because of that story. That's cool that he actually took the time to write her back. It is nice that he wrote her back, um, and he was very complimentary through the whole thing. But 
I, I'm sorry, I, that, that little non sequitur I've kind of been sitting on for a while, and I needed to make sure it was okay if I threw it in. You know, he wasn't, like, I know he, I know it's fun to crap on Bagwell, but he really wasn't a terrible worker until that neck injury just, like, ruined him. Was yeah. that the one with uh, Rick? Yeah, that's one where Rick uh, messed him up the, pretty bad. The bulldog didn't yeah. catch quite right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he. the thing I've noticed is that he's worked really well and had some really good matches in some of this earlier stuff. Like, the this one was pretty good. Uh, the one that he had with Paige, we talked about, was good. You know, he mm-hmm. he was pulling his weight. I think that was. And then, I think that was Johnny B. Bad with Paige. That we well, saw. there there was one with Johnny B. Bad and Paige, but there was another one that was Paige and Bagwell from a different show that was that was good. Okay. So I know I know what you're thinking of. Oh, you are right, but was that was that great was that Great American Bash? Ninety six. Maybe. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that was. Okay. So, it, it was... This match was pretty good. It, 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 I went in not knowing what to expect, and it was pretty good. It was basic. It wasn't... There wasn't yeah. much to it, but it was fine. Okay. Um, the next match was... Well, it was Ron Simmons versus Cactus Jack. Um, Matt, why don't you lead us off on this one? I actually really like this match. It was not a long match. It was like, what, about six minutes long? Six and a half. Six and a half, yeah. Uh, first off, Cactus Jack McFoley looked really young here. Um, still was doing crazy shit. Like the the one rope spot he did where he basically strangled himself within like the first minute of the, of the match. <laughs> yeah, he does that hangman spot. Yeah, but like that was, that was crazy. Um, yeah. A short match, but like they... I actually thought it really did a good job, like getting both guys over because they were kind of evenly matched throughout the whole thing and they were just kind of trading like power moves and stuff. Uh, I thought it was really good. And this was right. This was a, this was a few months before they would actually try and push Ron Simmons. They, they kind of had pushed him like in 91 a little bit. Um, well, they do. And they were kind of keep, they kind of were keeping him straight. Yeah. Once he left, well, once he got out of doom, they kind of pushed him a little bit as a baby face. Cause I know he, he fought Luger at I think Wrestle War ninety one for the the title. It might have actually been like a two out of three falls match. I forget, but uh, they kind of dropped him down the card a little bit. But they were still kind of keeping him strong. I thought this match was pretty good. Uh, I don't think Ron got him, gets him like enough love because he was actually a pretty good worker back in the day. A pretty good like power guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like they didn't really do a whole lot with him once he actually went to the WWE. Um, yeah, but uh, I liked the match a lot. Uh, I thought the ending was kind of weird, <laughs> where Abby Abdul the Butcher comes out and he's uh, he's about to double team Ron with Cactus Jack, uh, and all of a sudden JYD comes out of the crowd in like yeah. a white tux, and and immediately uh, Jesse starts like mocking his the white. He's like he looks like a waiter, <laughs> Jr. <laughs> See, Jesse was really good at getting heat by picking on those inconsequential things and then hammering on them. So, I mean, that's some really good heel commentator stuff. Yeah. Brad, what do do you think? Uh, I agree with Matt. This was surprisingly a compelling match. Yeah, it was way more interesting than like a six and a half minute match between two guys who were kind of just like thrown together. They weren't feuding or anything. It, it, It like had no business being like as interesting as it was. Yeah, it's kind of like when you watch those WWF shows and you know, like, this match was just thrown together. Like, say, like, um, I don't know, like, Ted DiBiase and Hacksaw Jim Duggan on, like, some show in 1990, except this was, like, actually good and interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I- I'm going to be, like, the pseudo-dissenting voice because I'm not really dissenting. It was a good match. The thing that bugs me is I watched a lot of Ron Simmons around this time period. I watched a lot of Cactus Jack around this time period. And to me, this seems like the standard match from both of them. It just so happens that they were both really good at doing what they did. So you put them together. Of course, it's going to be good. It just, at least to me, it felt like, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I've I've seen, I've seen this sort of thing. Um, you just, you just put it, I don't know. Good. 
if you have a really good set of parts whenever you're putting something together, of course they're going to work well together. They just kind of work the way you expect them to. I don't I don't know if that's unfair of me, but that's kind of how I felt. No, that makes sense. Okay. The next match on the card was um it was an interesting choice. Uh it was Van Hammer and the Z Man, Tom Zink, taking on Richard Morton and Vinny Vegas. Yeah, very later, uh later very to be er- known as uh Oz. Later to be known <laughs> as Oh wait, wait, I thought Oz was before Vinny Vegas. Yeah, Oz is first. was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Vinny Oz turned Vinny Vegas turn Diesel turned Kevin Nash. Um, as soon as this match started, uh, there are two two takeaways I got from it. Number one, it's interesting to me that they've got these two new big guys that they're wanting to get over by teaming them with two experienced older hands, which is smart. And number two, Van Hammer had no idea what to do with that guitar. <laughs> you know, he just walks out with yeah. it and he holds it up. And he points it at things, and he doesn't even pretend like he's playing it. He just kind of holds it up. And it make. I think Foley's thing was, if you were to carry something to the ring and not use it in its intended purpose, everyone could tell you didn't know what you were doing. Hammer just made it painfully obvious. Yeah. Hammer was uh, really, really bad. <laughs> I didn't think he was terrible. It's It was really actually interesting, because he was actually kind of over here. In this match, he yeah, was getting, he was getting a, he was getting some pops. He was. See, um, I, he had some problems with his bumps though, because there were a couple times he kind of spiked himself on his head. Yeah, and a time he spiked himself on his tailbone. Um, there late in the match, uh, v- Vegas. It's just going to amuse me so much calling him Vinny Vegas for a while. Um, goes to give him a vertical suplex, and he over rotates. And spikes himself on his tailbone. And it's just like, jeez, dude. That's harder to do. I gotta give give Nash a little credit here. Like, he was obviously really green in this match. But he was pretty mechanically competent throughout this match. Yeah. I thought his his stuff looked good. Um, He didn't really have much personality. But, like, the moves he did do, I thought he executed pretty well. Yeah, he didn't have he didn't have polish, but he wasn't he wasn't bad. Yeah, um, I, I actually wound up liking this match quite a bit. This is like a really weird match. It's like just random four guys randomly thrown together. This is like the it's, stuff you'd see on your indie. Like these are the guys they brought in to like pop the house an extra hundred people. Well, more than that, this is this is absolutely the sort of match you would get back in the day, especially like the the early '90s on a WCW Saturday Night, like that program. Yeah, or yeah. World, and or worldwide, yeah. this would be. And it would it would be a match like this where like they just give 12 minutes to the guys and just like go work a good match. And they they I actually like this match. I thought it was a really actually good match. And I think it clearly you have you have Zank and you have uh, <laughs> Richard Morton. <laughs> um, who are veterans at this point? They've been working for years. Uh, clearly, they were, they they were the point of the match was to kind of give both Van Hammer and, and Nash slash Benny Vegas uh, some match time, uh, have them kind of learn and get over. Uh, but I actually thought it, it worked out pretty well for a, kind of a random match that was just thrown together. I thought they had a good one. Uh, and there's one thing I want to note on commentary, and he did this several times throughout the pay per view. But it's just one of the things that I actually I, I really miss about Jesse Ventura's commentary and something that he always did in the WWF uh, and he did in WCW as well that I, just, I thought it was just brilliant. I loved it. Like he would obviously kind of support the heels, but he was always great about pointing out whenever the faces did something kind of illegal or cheated, he mm-hmm. would like immediately point out. And there was a, a, a time or two here like. I forget what it was. Maybe it was uh, – I, I forget what it was. I don't know if it was like accidentally sending a, one of the guys over the top rope or maybe they weren't like out of the ring for a five count. And he was like getting on Jim Ross about like, you know, they're cheating. It was I want to say my – coming in to break up a – he was Zink coming in to break up a pinfall. Yeah. But I remember that very well because you were right. He's really good about calling that stuff out. 
And the thing is, is that it actually kind of logically makes sense because obviously he was kind of like the heel announcer that he would support them. But if if the faces are the good guys, it makes perfectly logical sense for uh, Jesse to be like, that's wrong. They're supposed to be like the good guys. Why are they doing that? Yeah. yeah. You know what I love about this match, though? It is the most Tom Zink match of all time. And it just <laughs> exemplifies his career because we're sitting here and he was in the match. And I don't think we mentioned him once. <laughs> well, he had... You know, he and Morton worked really well together. The thing is that they didn't work the majority of the match. It was yeah. window dressing for, for oh, early on, Hammer screws up a leapfrog spot really bad. Um, but it was for, for Hammer in Vegas to go out there and get some, you know, get some exposure. But you've still got two guys who can save them if it starts going sideways. Incidentally, I thought the Vegas gimmick was actually pretty good for Nash, the, you know. It wasn't bad. It was no. It ages badly, but it's not terrible. No, I, th- I thought it. Would, I was like, oh, that's, that's a pretty good gimmick for him. That's and he, even being green, he he still did all right with it. It's you don't see a whole lot of guys who can who can do the, uh, you know, wear the the street clothes, um, the, uh, uh, you know, the because he's got like. It looks like slacks and a white shirt and suspenders on it and still have it work, but it worked for him. So. Yeah. Eh, pretty impressive for that. That tag match led into the next one, which was really good. Um, Wyndham, Barry Wyndham and Dustin Rhodes taking on Steve, stunning Steve Austin in the most early 90s of tights and Larry Zbysko. Oh, my gosh. Steve Austin's tights were terrible. They they looked like the um, the early '90s decorations that Pizza Hut would put up on the inside that had the little flecks of neon color all over it. Oh yeah, on the black background. So That's my- absolutely what. They and were. then he also he also had this like random like skin colored uh, knee brace, which for some reason just distracted me. It was like dirty and weird looking. Yeah, I don't know. My right. So I have a couple a couple of my early comments on this is I don't like how they set that angle up where they like smashed his arm in a door and ran off and then his mm-hmm. arm really didn't figure into the match that much that was a little weird. Um, right. Well, yeah, I agree that they should have worked it in, but the injury from was from like months back at this oh, point. Okay, they didn't really describe that well then. They made yeah, that Yeah, sound. they they showed you, a clip and then they said this is the match for it, but Yeah. Yeah, I think it it 27 years later you kind of don't get that but if you if contemporaneously it kind of made more sense yeah because uh, i actually think that i i'm i'm probably i might be misremembering this i forget my like timeline but uh i think i think around that that injury is what led to him kind of bowing out of the tag match uh, that then, like Ricky Steamboat, when he came back, slotted into, and that was the Dustin Rhodes Ricky okay. Steamboat versus Arn Anderson Zabisco match. Okay. Okay. Also, yeah. Larry Zabisco was over in this match. Oh yeah, Larry actually did a really good job, and uh, Jesse made some weird comment about how this is like the best in shape that Zabisco's ever been in, and <laughs> Zabisco was actually in shape for this match. He was, and, and he, he was... did a great job. His so, his execution was really crisp. It was this fun match, to watch. This match to me was pr- outside of the the Liger Pillman match. This was probably my favorite match on the card because it was as old school wrestling as it gets, like old school Southern wrestling. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna draw draw on the next match a little bit. I thought <laughs> I thought it was interesting how much um, this match and the tag title match were so different from each other, but both they excellent. were. Yeah. yeah. Is a really that's a really good point. Because this was this was a much more like your traditional southern like baby face in peril, like big hot tag, like get the win, and the next match is like a very just rough neck like I love how they did the, the hot tag for this. I, I know I'd, we talked in the past about how I don't like the iceberg tags that you see now in order to, to get you know gets the crowd into it stuff. But Right whenever um, Wyndham's going for the hot tag and Zabisco runs at him and Wyndham like back elbows him, 
but you know, he'd just been getting up to his feet, he back elbows him, he starts to stumble, and he like timber falls flat like tree all the way over, but hits the tag on the way down and the the building comes apart for it. It was I loved that. That was great. And um well they all had really good chemistry, but man, like Austin had really good chemistry with Wyndham and Dustin in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I should we should point out that Dustin was I think they were like I think Jim Ross said something about how this was like his second uh year in the business. Um which I'm not I think that might be it's inaccurate. I don't, he was around yeah. in like 88, I think. Because remember, he was in okay. the WWF in like 90 and 91. Yeah. Um, but at, this was the point where even as young as he was, because at this point he was probably like t- early 20s. Uh, yeah. He was already really good. Yeah. And he was okay. not even he was pulling his own against, I mean, Austin was pretty green too, but I mean, Wyndham and Zabisco had been in there for years as well. And he was, he was holding his own. I would say Dustin was better than Austin in this. I would agree. Yeah. Dustin was so good in this. He's just like, there's just like this freak athletic ability to Dustin that like, you don't necessarily see looking at him, but like really aids his matches. Dustin has, I think the the thing that I see, and maybe I'm seeing it differently than other people, but the thing that I see is for a guy who's, and let's be honest, Dustin Rhodes is a big dude. He's he probably legit stands six four six five. Um, he's been billed as six six in the past, so at worst he'd be six three. That's my height, but he's always been remarkably quick for that height. So, you know, his punches are quick and sharp and him doing stuff is, 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 you know, much more quick than you might expect someone of that size to work. And it's very engaging. I mean, they called him the natural. I don't know if they called him the natural because he was dusty son or if if they were like, he really is a natural, but it's accurate. Okay. My, uh, my, my, my soapbox is killed. Ill discussion yet again. No, I was, I was, I was, um, I was looking at something, but yeah. no, this was. I, but I think, um, I think, um, I think everything, like especially this show, shows how hot everything around the Dangerous Alliance was at this time. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the Dangerous Alliance. That's still to me, even to this day. Even though I guess, uh, in terms of actually like chronological time, I don't think they were around. They were probably disbanded within a year, but they were six one months. Well, yeah, they, they, they didn't have. The, I think they. Go ahead. They were. They started in November, so they were only four months in, and I think they disbanded at. Let me look. They disbanded right, after I, the war games. Right after Wrestle, yeah, after Wrestle War, the war games, uh, which is kind of sad, like because they were. I think I, partly because again, I got into wrestling like right when they were around this time, when they, when they were the actual like top heel stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of is coloring my my kind of fanboy appreciation for them. But I thought they were great stable, and I wish they had done more with them. Like you could have had them, you know, at least around for like a year, but yeah. didn't work out. But I thought they were like they were fantastic as kind of like main heels at this time. You know what else sure. is great on this show, mm-hmm. and I think is really an underappreciated thing, like in the history of wrestling is Missy Hyatt as a dunce of a <laughs> backstage interview. Oh, gosh, she was so dumb in the backstage. It's great, though. Like, she she plays it so well. Like I, Was she playing? I mean... <laughs> I was, like, she is just, like, in this show, especially, like, when she's trying to get back to see Ricky Steamboat and stuff, she is just, like, the consummate moron. That's always been a pretty um, an amusing and pretty successful way to to have a gimmick attached to a to a backstage interviewer. I mean, they did that. Um they did it with Maria Canellis and it worked there. It that was funny and it worked. Um and you have a reason to have someone explain something to the interviewer cuz like the interviewer works there. They ought to know, right? But if you establish that the interviewer is an idiot, then you have a reason to explain backstory and stuff. So, uh, you're right. She does a great job with it. All right. I'm going to feed us on into our next one. Um, this was Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton 
uh, versus the Steiner brothers. This match is because I had actually started watching this match before we brought it up as, as something to watch. This is the match that brought me to it uh, to watch this. And man, this is this is a fun watch. They just did bad things to each other in this match. <laughs> I want to again point out uh, something on the commentary here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved that the first thing that Jesse does in this match is just start ragging on the University of Michigan <laughs> for giving the Steiners a, a degree. Yeah. Especially a degree in, edu- in education, which I don't know if that's. Uh, legit but i was not aware that that was what their majors were you know what i wasn't either now i gotta look i don't know but it was uh it was hilarious that he just immediately starts ragging on on the university of michigan and the steiners um these these guys worked really well together um i actually like i, I like the austin zabisco Rhodes window match a little better but it's very different in style and I thought that they just this these two teams worked really fantastic together. I mean, you can't go wrong with like Bobby Eaton, who is amazing, and Arn Anderson too. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the Steiners were so great because they were like really crisp in this uh, part of their career, and they would just do big power moves and just like beat the shit out of everyone. Uh, Rick hey. has a degree in um, education. I cannot find mm-hmm. what Scotts is in. Uh, I can't either, which is kind of odd. Uh, but it, it you've got these. It's probably communication since like he was probably there for wrestling more than he was. I was gonna say if he had an education degree, that explains so much about his math lesson promo, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But um, I agree. This this match was just this interesting mix with. Anderson and Eaton being more technical and the Steiners being so beastly and them going back and forth and the guys just hammering on each other. It was Yeah, and it, it's almost like the story of the match was that how much can Anderson and Eaton throw at the Steiners and nothing was uh basically putting them away. Yeah. Oh, that was man, that was a lot of fun. Can I add one more thing that I thought I, I I forgot about this until I saw it in this pay-per-view, but it was something that kind of warms my heart because it's something that you would see uh, in certain promotions. I think maybe World Class may have done this, but you would see it in old school WCW. Eventually, when they started going like the Nitro era, they, they kind of moved it back. But they had the announce booth, such as you call it. Like, booth yeah. is like air quotes. They had it like immediately right there at ringside and i don't mean like how they do it in like the wwe today where it's like you know like 10 feet away from the ring or whatever no No, it was like a foot away from the ring it's like pushed up against the apron (laughs) yeah some of the some of the promotions would do that again i i think it was i think it might have been world class or something but yeah they would have it like right at (laughs) right against the ring apron and they would have like little rinky dink like monitors yeah. So, and because they made a comment like during this, uh, I think there was, a, oh, when uh, I forget which diner it was, but he backed up Arn Anderson basically into, uh, they got Arn to basically crotch himself on the ring post. Yeah. And Jim uh, Jim Ross is like, Jesse, you almost took out your monitor there. Because <laughs> they were like right there. They were right yeah. there at the ring post. Yeah. That was, God, that he was. This was a lot of fun to watch. They got 20 minutes to go out there and go wild. So that was a lot of fun. The only thing I didn't like was they did a whole dusty finish with them. I hate the Yeah. I hate the the faces celebrating when they won by DQ. It's like, you should know the deal by now. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um So it was it was great right up to the last second, I guess. <clears throat> um, next match on the card was U.S. title match: Rick Rude versus Ricky Steamboat. <clears throat> what can you say? These guys just work so well together. Mm-hmm. Um, God, this was good. Both guys were jacked. Oh, Rude yeah. was like ripped for even like what Rude usually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. One thing that happened in this. 
is uh, I, I off the top of my head I can't remember. Steamboat did something to affect Rude's left arm, right? Mm-hmm. And Rude would sell it, but the thing that bothered me is he would kind of forget to sell it sometimes. Like he was yeah. really good. He'd hold it in a certain way and he'd go to pose and he couldn't bring that arm up, and yet he'd slap a, a chin lock on Steamboat with the bad arm. He gave him like three clotheslines with the bad arm. And at yeah. least to his credit, like once or twice after that, he kind of like grasped the arm. And then on the commentary, they kind of cleaned it up by being like, oh, that was a mistake. He shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. That was kind of like a lapse in psychology a bit. But it wasn't huge because he did keep selling it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it didn't it didn't really play into the finish either. I never I don't I don't remember Steamboat teasing the the full chicken wing or anything on it. So. Um, I don't know. In a in a good match, that feels I don't know, maybe a little out of place. But it was still a good match. What do you think, Brad? I thought it was a really good match. The uh, the ninja thing was kind of weird, but I I haven't really seen the TV leading up to this, so I um. Yeah, I don't I don't recall that. Uh, but for those who have not seen the pay per view, like the all throughout the entire uh night. Uh, Steamboat had like a guy dressed as a ninja, like standing guard against uh, in front of his, his dressing room. Yeah, and he like, came out. He came out with him uh, to the match. It, they did a, a storyline angle where uh, Polly Dangerously, who was uh, Rude's manager as part of the Dangerous Alliance, was banned from ringside. So the finish of the match uh, was basically the ninja takes a, a phone conspicuously. It's like the Polly Dangerously giant phone. Yeah, and then yeah. clocks Steamboat over the head with it, uh, leading to Rude basically covering him for the, the the win. Right. And like after the match, you see Missy Hyatt going to the Dangerous Alliance uh, dressing room, and she sees Polly with the basically dressed in the ninja outfit with the mask off. So it's obviously the the ninja who was at ringside was Polly in a yeah in a. It, it li- seemed my my impression was that the ninja was supposed to be there to protect against interference from the dangerous alliance. Yeah, and then you get to flip it, but nobody ever said that part. Yeah. So, uh, I liked the match a lot. I think one of the things I really liked uh, was that they were oddly like incredibly aggressive with each other. It was almost like the match was basically just like these two guys hated each other, and it was a war of attrition where they were just like throwing. There wasn't yeah. even like a ton of outside of like occasional like rest holds. There wasn't like a there wasn't like chain wrestling or anything like that. It was mostly just like power moves or just punching and kicking the crap out of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I actually prefer this to the uh to the thirty minute Iron Man match that these two guys had because you know, you get the sense of these guys are really cross with each other and they're they're throwing a lot at each other. You also see the flying chop that Steamboat did that I totally stole from him. And used for years, but you know, you go into that Iron Man match, and it starts off hot. You know, it's in the first five minutes, Steamboat throws all this stuff at him and gets the first fall, and then Rude grinds it down for the next twenty minutes. And to me, that that like I understood what they were going for, but I prefer this one so much more um, in in how they did it. So hot take I guess right because some people consider that Iron Man match one of the best um, I haven't seen I think it. this is better I haven't seen it in like probably a decade so I'd have to watch it again to like really yeah I would have to watch it again um, I remember liking it a lot so I'd have to see how that compares with this it, it's good don't get me wrong I'm not saying it's not you put these t- two guys together and they do great stuff but I like this one more so, all right, and then that takes us into the the last match of the evening: Sting versus Lex Luger with Harley Race for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Um, I know we'll see this match again in time, but hey, this this was good. <laughs> I I'm a huge Sting mark, um, and I liked the match, but I also I was kind of frustrated with it. And I kind of... It, all the parts where where Luger was in control, I wasn't feeling. 
I thought it was okay. a little too a little too boring and methodical for me. And I feel like the crowd was not the crowd was there to see Sting win. And everything he was doing at the, like, the beginning of the match, they were super hot for. Uh, and then at the end, the finish, like they kind of get into it again. But then I, the thing I didn't like is that the finish was kind of abrupt. And the, the crowd popped for it, but it's also like Luger was leaving at this point. Like I don't know why you're kind of protecting him on the way out. Like have <clears> Sting not have this like kind of – it wasn't quite a fluke, but it was kind of like a, a flash pin. And it's like just tend out, just have him like beat him, like have yeah. him actually yeah. put the the scorpion deathlock on and submit Luger. He's on his way out. Like you don't need to do anything for him. Also, considering the um, considering the story of the match of of Sting just just hammering at him, trying to punish him, mm-hmm. you would figure that the the end on that would be the scorpion deathlock. But that, like we said, that's not not what happened. Um, the, uh, the really intriguing thing for me in this match was that it took your standard match formula and turned it around. So you have, um, okay, yeah, I'm sure you guys out there are aware of this. Your standard match formula, you go shine, heat, comeback, finish. Because just two goes two guys going out there wrestling doesn't have a story to it. They turned it around. It started heat with Luger on the offense, then Sting takes over. And for that middle chunk of the match, where it's usually the heel getting heat, it's Sting just beating up on Luger. Luger comes back, and they they start going into the finish. But it was so interesting to me in their storytelling that they flipped those. Um, And they did it for good reason. You know, it, it worked. Like Matt said, that people wanted to see Sting beat up Luger. But, uh, you, you know, you don't often see people be willing to flip it like that. I think it was about, like, Sting getting, like, his revenge, though. So that's kind of why they flipped it a bit. Because it was more about Sting, like, making sure to, like, really give it to him instead of just beating him. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, I agree with you on that. But it was... It, it's just interesting to see because you don't get to see that very often you know mm-hmm. and man harley race took quite the back bump on the floor oh yeah he did he did yeah he took he took that like a champ too it's i liked that bit of storytelling because luger sets up and does the pile driver but he doesn't he doesn't land it quite straight and then so sting goes to the outside and race is like gives Luger this eye like no I've I've told you how to do this you can do it better I'm going to show you how you're supposed to do it and he sets up to pile drive Sting and Sting backdrops him out of it and he, I liked that 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 continuation where it's it's race being like no no I I taught you better than this I'm going to show you how it's done now and Sting being smart enough to not fall for the same trick again I, I like I enjoyed that that little piece of storytelling so what um what i found really interesting about this show is it had eight matches and man like this is so much better pace than like the bloated like stuff in like wwe now like most of Mm -hmm. the matches like the the announcers like gasp the announcers actually did the work of conveying the storylines to you you know if they did Mm -hmm. backstage stuff it was brisk like no Every match didn't need, like, a five-minute video package for it. Yeah. that That's true. Um, oh, here's another thing. For the most part, aside from the tag title match, you, you had a clear winner. Like, you didn't... It, it was a clear win. It wasn't like a... At least on the show itself, it wasn't a 50-50 thing. You had a little bit of screwball stuff here and there, but... For the most part, it's like win, 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 you know, that sort of thing. And they saved the screwball stuff until big things that I guess they wanted to continue on. Yeah, it was, I mean, like I said at the beginning, this was a really good show. This is a fantastic show. Yeah, I agree with that. It was... Look, those of you listening at home, if you're ever sitting around and being like, I don't know what I want to watch, watch this one. This is a this is a great way to spend some time. 
Um, it's it's fun. It's filled with good stuff. It, we, I think I think the three of us can can say we highly recommend it without any kind of hesitation, right? Highest recommend. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, this is this is great. Because so, um, when we decide on these, like, um, we usually look over the cards and kind of. Uh, kind of all look at it, and you know, if one of us disagrees, we'll we'll look at something else. But Super Brawl was actually tough because we looked at all the cards, and minus a couple years, they all were pretty compelling cards. But we decided on this one because it looked like it had a lot of potential, and I have to say, like, I wasn't disappointed with it. Yeah, I, I, even before we talked about it, I went and started watching this one, and it was for the the tag title match. I was on board at that point, and it's really good. And the rest of the match, or the rest of the show, just fills out nicely. Mm-hmm. Matt, yeah, I agree. <laughs> like this is a, I mean, I any like basically any 1992 uh, WCW pay per view, I'd be down to watch. Like I, I, I love that era. Oh yeah, it's it well. Except for the the spin the wheel make a deal one, right? Oh uh, well, they yeah they well if we ever review that, which maybe we will at some point, we'll have to go into that. They they I I, I think has it been established they did not gimmick the the wheel. They they could not have gimmicked it. Yeah, if they, they had gimmicked weird... it for that choice, then I don't know what kind of thought was going on. Coal miners glove match. Yeah, which is just a. That's a weird choice in a uh, a post territory world, you know. Yeah. So, all right, well, guys, unless you have any other parting thoughts we want to put out there, uh, I have one. And if you this is this is just a recommendation for people out there, but if you haven't watched it yet, go hop on Twitter and look for um, Matthew Gregg, the guy that does Botchamanias. He has had so much fun with the washing machine that goes with any theme. Um, <laughs> I have laughed myself sick at it. So uh, I'm going to recommend you guys hop on there and enjoy that. You, you'll you'll get a good laugh out of it. I'll have to check it out. Yep. All right. Well, Super Brawl 92, great show, great thumbs up. We want to thank all of you all for joining us. This has been the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. I want to say thank you all for joining us. Have a good night.